Welcome to Let's Face the Facts. I'm David Almeida, and I'm your host for this rewatch podcast for the classic sitcom The Facts of Life. I'm an actor in Orlando, Florida, and every week I bring you some of the greatest talent in the Central Florida arts community. Join us as we synopsize, analyze, criticize, and ultimately idolize the show, episode by episode. Hey guys, welcome back. It's another week, another Wednesday, another show, episode 110. Thank you for downloading and for pressing play. My guest this week is Rob Lott. Rob is a fellow actor-performer at theme parks and dinner attractions, a very talented, fun, funny guy. He also has a podcast of his own called The Leading Creative, and he has sort of a specialty expertise in leadership and particularly how it applies to creative endeavors. We talk about it on the show a little bit, as well as uh, this new consulting firm that he started up called Blue Trumpet Creative. Now, before we start today, we have a few things to do. First of all, I want to welcome three new Patreon members, three new people officially who can now use the title Tutti Fruity. We have Just Joe, Helen D., and Thomas C., Three of you, all within a week. I am thrilled, I am honored, and it is my pleasure to welcome you to the family. If you want to be like them, you can support the show through Patreon. And remember, your $3 a month sponsorship gets you an additional podcast every month called TV Talkaholics, which is me and Matthew Arder talking about TV. Let's get back to this week's show, though. Rob Lott and I watched Season 6, Episode 2, A Slice of Life, and the original air date was October 3rd of 1984. I think we're ready to jump on in. Let's face the facts with Rob Lott. Well, Rob Lott, welcome to the show. Thanks so much. Happy to be here. I've been I've been listening along the way and hearing all my friends do it. And I and I I called you. I, I sent you a message. And I just said, I want to do the show. I want to be on. You did. And it was it was delightful to actually have someone having... say it was you You wrote like like Psst, it's a secret, by the way. I want to <laughs> be on the show. And, and that's great because I've been uh, trying to go through the people that I know just the people that I've worked with or peripherally or whatever. And this is really, this is probably going to be the longest conversation you and I have ever had. It's true. We've, yeah, we have worked together here and there in the past, but it's always been kind of like in passing that you would, you know, we're, we're starting up a rehearsal. You're coming in as I'm leaving or yeah. we're just, just in passing. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to have this conversation with you and, you know, to talk about the facts of life, but also to get to know you better, David. Oh well, isn't that sweet? That uh, theoretically should be my job as host, but I'll I'll let you do it because I'm I'm lazy. So <laughs> I'll let I'll let you do the heavy lifting, buddy. So yeah, so uh, I'm thrilled to have you here. I'm thrilled at your desire to want to be on the show. So first thing I'm going to ask you, as I often ask my guests, is do you have a strong connection to the facts of life? Is it the TV show that brought you here, or was it only your deep, deep desire to be closer to me? 
it, uh, truly, I don't have like a deep, deep connection to the facts of life per se. I do have a deep connection to the sitcoms of the 80s. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, that that was my my formative, my growing up years. Um, you know, I, I maybe I got into like junior high and high school in the 90s but so much of the the person that i am and and who i would become and what kind of person i wanted to be in junior high and high school was decided from the characters of the shows that i watched in the 80s like okay that's what cool is that is what you know this is what functioning adults look like or non-functioning adults maybe and so and and who was cool in that in that list who were who were the ones you tried to emulate yeah, I think, um, let's see, uh, like, um, what, like I would say like Tony Danza. Tony Danza was cool, oh, right? Mona Angela. <laughs> <laughs> but then also like, um, and maybe there's a, this was a little, it started in the 80s, but it was a little bit more 90s. It was like Saved by the Bell and, uh, oh, yeah. you, mm-hmm. you know, those those shows and stuff were like Zach Morris and uh, <laughs> Those those definitely were were formative and, and uh, certainly influential in the person that I would is eventually hope to become. Never really get there for sure. Never really get there. Yeah, because Zach I'm certainly more of a screech than a Zach. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was gonna say because Zach is Zach is of questionable ethical uh, foundation. I've isn't oh, there a sure. is it a is it a, a Facebook page or something that's, that's just called Zach Morris is trash. <laughs> yes, yes, for sure. I mean, but at the same time, and we should talk about some of this because there's in in the episode that we're going to talk about today, mm-hmm. I have some questions about some of the some ethical questions uh, you, across the board. You and me both. So, Rob A. Lot. Yes. You know that the shows always start with me putting my guest on the spot and oh, asking man. you to give a two sentence elevator pitch of what this episode was about before we go into my obsessive compulsive microscopic dissection. <laughs> Would you please bless us with that? Yes. All right. So Joe has a really great uh, recipe for making pizzas. She got from her mom. She makes one. Somebody tries it. It's really great. Says I would pay some money for that. And so she starts selling pizzas uh, of her own, of her mom's recipe, but she gets in a little bit over her head and now um, she's the, she can't keep up with the orders. And so she's faced with the dilemma that every young entrepreneur is faced with of do I maintain the quality control or do I go into mass production and uh, and and diminish the quality in order to keep up with all the orders that are coming in. And in so doing, Joe and all of the girls learn some important life lessons. Yes. Now, as I was watching this, knowing that you have uh, your background in your podcast, which we'll be talking about uh, in just a little bit, uh, yeah. about being a, a creative leader, about your passion for leadership and a creative approach to it. As I was watching this, I thought to myself, ooh, Rob's going to probably have some opinions here about how Joe is managing this <laughs> enterprise that is foisted on her. So I, I look forward to your input uh, from that point of view. Okay. so let me do a little bit of my housekeeping here where uh the episode that rob and i have watched was season six episode two a slice of life 
The original air date was October 3rd of 1984. It was written by Jerry Mayer, one of the OG writer-producer creators of the show, directed by Asad Kelada, our tried-and-true, steadfast uh, in-house director, who is about to be completing uh, his stint with Facts of Life, Rob, to move on to being the in-house director for Who's the Boss? Well, my goodness. Mm -hmm. Another one of my favorites, as yeah. mentioned. So I'm sure you looked at this and went, wow, a lot of the directorial choices I'm seeing are reminiscent of many Who's the Boss. You said that, didn't you? Say that to I yourself. Did. I did. I did. As I was watching, I thought, huh, I wonder. I wonder if there's a connection. And, and Joe does remind me of Tony Danza in a weird way. But <laughs> Now, we have a little bit of weirdness here to point out in that this was the second episode broadcast for season six, but it was the fourth episode filmed for the season. And last week's episode, which was the premiere season six, episode one, it was actually the fifth episode that they had taped. And that is because... This is when Nancy McKeon was in some contract talks. Oh. So at that time, they weren't sure if they were going to be able to work them out. But there are two episodes that were taped in which she does not appear. She's still in the opening credits. And then uh, because they started filming in July, they had had all of the stuff worked out. They got her on board re-signed her and then they were able to add her in and then they just took those two without her and peppered them in through the season and no one really noticed that's very interesting yeah, yeah. So they wanted to start with with a full canon of cast yes that makes yeah. sense and that's they were smart, smart to wait hopefully it was because yeah. they figured they'd worked it out it wasn't gonna have to be <laughs> a very special episode wow it sucks <laughs> that joe died when that orphanage burned down you know <laughs> But uh, yeah, and, and the thing is what they've alluded to, they don't, they've got still a little tight-lipped about it. I feel like it was in one of the specials where Mindy Cohn said that it was kind of happening unbeknownst to the rest of them. Like she said, it was kind of like, wait, what's going on? Why is she not here? And then when they heard what it was about, and I think when they understood what the money situation was, Mindy Cohn said their response was, so fix it. That's like, that's, you know, that's so stupid. Like, of course. And, and it might be because Nancy McKeon came in a season late. Mm. They might have tried to say to her, look, this show, if, you know, this show is about to be canceled. We're bringing you in and it probably isn't going to last. Yeah. And then there was the writer's strike that cut season two short. They probably oh. did get her for, for chump change, even though, in hindsight, Nancy McKeon saved this sitcom mm. really and truly. Yeah. So for them to now, at you know, four years later, for her to go back to the table, you almost get a sense that it was her saying, shouldn't I be making the same as the other girls? Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of what I've inferred and probably just, you know, completely made up in my, my, my little pea brain as to what the situation was. But the good news is the they were able to come to an agreement and we have Nancy McKeon for the rest of the run. Great. Um, well, are we ready to jump on in? And ready. start with the microscopic dissection, which I love to do so much. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> he's rubbing his hands. He's rubbing his hands together, making the sound. Uh, yes. So we begin this episode in the living room house area. In fact, we never are in Edna's Edibles. We're only in the house area and uh, uh, other parts, which we will discuss. But uh, it's kind of a busy time here. 
we've got Blair yeah. sitting at the dining room table with some other students, clearly deep into studying. There's two boys and a girl there. Um, Natalie and Tootie are uh, quickly come into the scene and are planning to see a movie that night. Um, uh, but before we do, I always love to look at the other actors and the bit players in this. <laughs> so later, when Mrs. Garrett comes in, we are introduced to the people. So we have three people. The friends are Sally. Sally is the woman. Ronald is the boy that is flirting with Blair, has got his arm around her. Clearly, he's her boyfriend of the week. And clearly, last week, Cliff, her boyfriend that she loved so much that she traveled to Iowa over the summer to meet his family, I guess Cliff is out of the picture. <laughs> he's done. Yeah. He's and, done. And remember, she had a, 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 you know, a crisis last season where she had a full-on uh, dream about the future in the year 2000, about what her life would be like if oh, wow. she were to marry him because he was yeah. being transferred and going to another medical school and he said come with me and be my wife so i mean they were serious with a capital s until episode two yeah exactly <laughs> what is that about <laughs> but again typical 1980s sitcoms it happens all the time i complain about it constantly you'd think i'd get over it but the third guy sitting at the table his name is hack short yeah. for hacksaw and uh, just quickly to go through the actors in this, uh, the guy flirting with Blair, Ronald, Steve Schubert. This is the third of only four TV and movie credits. He really cool. didn't do much acting, but he is now uh, a modern abstract artist. Cool. And if you go to his website, SchubertModern.com, that's Schubert with an S-C-H. This episode has him billed as S.H. Schubert, but his name is actually S.C.H. SchubertModern.com. You can see his artwork and, and it's pretty cool. And then we have playing the role of Sally, actress Lisa Freeman. And uh, by the way, all of these people, this is their only appearance on the Facts of Life. They never come back as students uh, or in this role <laughs> again. Uh, but uh, here's the thing. Lisa Freeman has uh, just a handful of credits. Again, she didn't stay in the industry very long, not past 1995, but she is recognizable from Back to the Future 1 and 2. She plays the role of Babs. Babs is one of Leah Thompson's Lorraine McFly's, I'm sorry, Lorraine Baines, because she's not married yet. Right. She's one of Lorraine's best friends. Uh, the point when uh, uh, George walks up to them in the diner and is talking about his density, Babs is the friend with the ponytail sitting right next to her. And when we do the flashback in Back to the Future 2, when Lorraine's coming out of the dress shop with the dress she's going to be wearing to the dance, Babs is right there with her too. But Wow! But beyond this, I mean, she has, you know, I don't know what her, what drove Ms. Freeman to leave the industry. Hopefully it was a conscious choice on yeah. her part, but it's, uh, it's too bad because uh, that is, that, that's a pretty cool little, <laughs> hey, <laughs> I was Babs in Back to the Future. It's like all the props, girl. And then in the role of Hack, we have <sighs> Tony Longo. L-O-N-G-O, and he certainly is. He is this gigantic, <laughs> huge, he is, I looked it up, he is six foot six. He is built like a brick shipyard. 
and he is clearly cast for type as being the sort of Italian Goombai football player, super jock, just beefy, beefy wall of a man. Yeah. Yeah. He it stands is. up and Mrs. Garrett is just barely reaching. I don't know. Because <laughs> Charlotte Ray is five foot tall. Yeah. And he's six, six. He literally has a foot and a half on her. And uh, Tony would go on to do many other, he has like 154 credits over 34 years of very uh, movies and TV shows and soaps. And unfortunately- Were these, he, among, were these among his first or was yes. he already quite a bit? His first credits were in 81. So this is very early in his career. Okay. So yeah, but uh, he, as he got older, he did get thicker and bigger. He went from being the beefy guy to being the big, heavy, large guy. Okay. And um, he unfortunately passed away unexpectedly in his sleep in 2015 oh. at the age of 56. Oh. And uh, there is a, a fairly active YouTube channel still there that he had, Tony Longo, L-O-N-G-O. And in it, you see him trying to document a weight loss program because at one point he had gotten very overweight and he was trying to lose 200 pounds. Wow. And, and he had it to lose. And he did lose, I think he got to 90 and then he also posts just jokes and goofy stuff. It's like, you can tell he was a really sweet, nice guy. Yeah. And it's too bad he left us, uh, he left us too early. Uh, but yeah, congestive heart failure and kidney issues. And I'm sure his weight did not uh, help that situation. But here he is featured quite a bit as, as the yeah. big guy at the frat house. And uh, he's got this, he's got this kind of goofy shrug in this way of uh, planting himself, looking directly out to the audience physically. Yes. Straight onto the audience, not even doing a three quarter turn to his castmates. He is just, here I am and check yeah. me out. <laughs> yeah, I, I did notice that a bunch of times. He, he would always square himself flat to the audience, flat mm -hmm. to the, you know, the, the fourth wall, so as to say. Yeah. He would always square himself off just for the punchline. He yeah. would be he would be looking at him, looking at him, looking at him, and now here comes my funny line, and he would turn flat out to the house. Yeah, and yeah. then and then laugh and sort of shrug and all that, and and it's a really fun characterization because uh, there's a there's a goofiness to him, even though he is this imposing physical being. Uh, you you do get a sense, and he really likes Joe, and he is frequently and constantly flirting with her and putting his arm around her, even when she says, "Don't do that." Don't do that. We wouldn't do that nowadays, but <laughs> even then, there is a sense that he doesn't pose a threat. Oh sure, yeah, I, I think for for sure, even I didn't get any kind of creepy factor. No, uh, from any of that, I think it was just it was him being, like, "Hey, I'm a I'm a good guy. I'm a good yeah. guy, and I'm you know." I, yeah, I didn't. There are there are times when I watch some of these shows and I go, oh yeah, we can't oh, do that anymore. And there's a lot of that in the facts and, of life. Oh my and god! For sure, and for sure, like there are even times when, you know, even if it was acceptable then, and maybe even comes off uh, as okay then, um, you know, now we would go, mm, nope, let's not do that anymore. But th yeah. this was one that didn't didn't hit my my radar as as something as being weird or off putting or yeah. Because the flirtations were typically just him putting his arm around Joe, maybe saying something, and Joe shutting it down 
and him retreating. He never yeah. went back at her. There was never, <laughs> speaking of Back to the Future, there was never, you're going to marry me, Lorraine! <laughs> right. But uh, it's there well, was no and, sense. And not, to get, not to get overly, I mean, I don't know what his backstory is per se, but I got the sense, especially like at one point, he pulls like both girls. I think it was um, uh, Natalie and Joe. Natalie and Joe, yeah. Yeah, pulls both of them in. And it was almost like, hey, we're friends, right? Like, yeah. you know, and not, I don't, it wasn't a sad moment or anything, but it was just kind of like, do we're friends, right? Are, are, can we be friends? We're friends, right? And mm -hmm. gave me kind of a sense of like, this guy doesn't necessarily have a place that he belongs, really. Yeah. And so when he put his arms around both of them, it was like, can I be with you too? <laughs> can, yeah. I be can I be in your circle? Or again, as a frat boy, he's got his fraternity brothers, but yeah. where you think to yourself, that could be off-putting to women yeah. to just have him be this, this. He's a hulk of a dude. That's yeah. that's intimidating. So it could just be he doesn't really have a lot of experience with women. Yeah, it could be. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. So yes, Natalie and Tootie are going to be going to see this movie, but uh, they are not leaving that house, according to Tootie until they get a slice of Joe's pizza, which they can <laughs> smell and everyone is saying, oh my God, this is gonna be so amazing. Yeah, it's terrific. Uh, Mrs. Garrett comes home from her, her diet club meeting. Something, we've, we've known Mrs. Garrett to be watching her weight, but we've never known her to be going to a quote unquote diet club. So the assumption is Weight Watchers. Yeah. Uh, but she says she's doing well and she's trying to be good about food, but then the pizza comes out. And the whole episode, Mrs. Garrett's through line is, no, Tim, Tim, it looks delicious. And no. <laughs> and, uh, Charlotte Ray does what she can with it, but it's, it's one of those things where I don't believe we ever have her this committedly on a diet at any point <laughs> continuing going forward. So this is this the first of the of the many plot lines that were introduced but never never come back to again. Mrs. Garrett has been a taxi cab driver. She <laughs> was the maid for the Drummonds on different strokes. So she cleaned their toilets and uh -huh. cooked their meals. Then when she started being a house mother at Eastland because she's teaching a sex ed class, they suddenly drop that she's a registered nurse. During her time as the dietitian for Eastland School, which is where she got promoted to the following season, she wasn't making enough money. So she became a hostess at like a, a Denny's or like, you know, an all night diner type of a thing. Uh, she has taken flying lessons on different strokes. She was in a karate class. Um, uh, she and the girls, when, when one of their fellow students took her own life, they said, we're going to start up a suicide hotline. Well, Mrs. Garrett, do you think we could all have time to, Mrs. Garrett was like, I'll make time. <laughs> and so she, we, we never heard about that again. Right. Uh, it's been an ongoing thing for me, these last 109 episodes for me to, to constantly be pointing out and keep track of how many different lives and careers Mrs. Garrett has had. Maybe like as a house mother, I mean, I don't know what, what being a house mother pays, but maybe it's enough that she can just live the life that she wants to live, do the things she wants to do. And she just has to be around 
and available here and there, you know. Yeah. But at this point, she's not a she's not a house mother. At oh. this point, she owns a gourmet food store. That's right. She Edna's edibles. Right. She's a business owner, and there's no real mention Which, of the right. store. And you do have to wonder who's running the store. Yeah. I say that all the time, Rob. Well, I mean, Ugh. it is mentioned. It is mentioned later when they're getting the the pizza order comes in, mm -hmm. and and she answers the phone. And she lists the the name of the pizza place. Yeah. And then, oh, uh, and also Edna's Edibles. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to talk more about that, too. That's okay. another issue I have with this show. But <laughs> um, here's a fascinating thing, Rob. For all of my complaints about stuff they introduce that comes out of left field, out of nowhere, we have had a Rose Polnicek pizza served on the show by Joe's mother, Rose Polnicek herself, last season. What? I shit you not. Hey, so this was, I mean... This we, is we canon. Planted this seed. We planted this seed and we're coming, and it's grown into a little, a little tree. Yes! A small tree, yeah. <laughs> I am thrilled and delighted. It was when Joe's parents were in town because Joe was in a dirt bike race or something. Again, a thing that started and stopped and never happened again. Joe suddenly being a dirt bike racer. She has a motorcycle, but a dirt bike's a different animal. Yeah. Not that the writers of the show would know. But um, <laughs> it was an episode where Joe was thinking her parents, who have been divorced for many years, might be reconciling. And it was, well, why don't I come tomorrow and I'll make pizza for everyone. And there is talk of how delicious the pizza was that Rose made. So this is a, a tip of the hat to the writers for bringing this out. All right. Um, yeah. Well done, writers. Way to yeah. pay attention to your own show. Yeah. But I do have a <laughs> casting issue okay. because the actress who plays Joe's mother, her name is Claire Malice, M-A-L-I-S. Yeah. And she is not a very ethnic woman. She's not, mm. uh, there is no touch of, she's supposed to be uh, a weather-worn waitress from the Bronx. And she really comes off more like uh, a Mary Steenburgen, uh, Diane Keaton kind of a type. Okay, I'm looking now. Yeah, even yeah. her look, she doesn't look very Italian, but let alone Joe, this is the first time Joe ever says Sicilian Italian. Yeah. Doesn't she? Yeah, Sicily. And Sicilian Italians, with, with exceptions, those are the shorter, stockier, dark-haired, dark-eyed, dark-skinned Italian people. Right. Not your not your northern Italian who still have some, you know, some Scandinavian crossover and all that stuff. But yeah, so I when little, we've met little issue. Little issue there. Little and issue the, there. When we've yeah. met Joe's mother the last, uh, I think we've met her three times now. Every time I've said, I love the actress. She is excellent. The chemistry with her and Joe and with her and Joe's dad, played by Alex Rocco. So um, it's, no, no, there is no question about the talent and the performance. I'm just like, from a casting standpoint, you were thinking it should be, um, it should be more of a... Um, you know, an Olympia Dukakis type. Sure. Well, and I would say that's something to your point earlier. It's it's very the it's it's very fixable in a in a quick rewrite. Make it. My mom was from Northern Italy. Exactly. Where yeah, they have simple. and and find very out. Simple. And again, you can do research. Take out your Funk and Wagnalls encyclopedia, and <laughs> and look up and say, okay, so what is what is pizza like? In, in Northern Italy, what makes it different yeah. and unique? Because chances are we haven't really experienced something like that here in this country. 
tis true. Yeah. It's true. We have a especially in the eighties, we had a very specific understanding of what pizza was. Yeah. And in a narrow our, lane, a very yeah. narrow, narrow point of view. It has grown. Our understanding has grown of what pizza can be. Yeah. But uh yeah, yeah, you're right. They do allude to something exotic that there is an artichoke heart on each pizza. <laughs> that that's one of the like uh, I believe Joe they calls love it the artichoke heart. They her mother's it personal signature that and three special cheeses shredded by hand and uh well long story short in this scene is they say this is so good you should sell it and joe's like nah it's you know it's personal it's for the family and well you name the right price suddenly 10 bucks a pizza and joe is like let's do this I'll, yeah the uh, hack hands her $30 and says, why don't you deliver three of these pizzas to our frat house tomorrow night? And she does say, well, I do still have some of the ingredients and I, you know, I got time to do it and 30 bucks. Wow. Do you know how much $30 is in 2020 dollars, Rob? How much? That is 75 bucks. Okay. That is $25 per pizza. Well, see, and that does, because I wrote down here, $10 for a pizza, I'll take it. Mm -hmm. And yeah, and so that makes sense. Whereas $25 for a pizza, if 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 somebody were to say to me, Rob, I would, that pizza that you just made, it's really good. I would pay $25 for one of those. I, okay, well now, yeah. so that makes sense. Yeah, yeah I, I, I was definitely, so people were paying what? Like four to $6 for a, for a whole pizza back then? Uh, well, where I come from, we have a, a special type of pizza in the South Shore of Massachusetts. Uh -huh. um, I want to say that like a, a, a 10 inch pizza, so not a very large one, like not yeah. quite a personal, but a 10 inch pizza. I feel like there was a time in my youth where a cheese pizza was $2.30. Wow. And if you put toppings on it, that became like $3.40. Wow. Like the 230, 340, those numbers stick yeah. in my head. That yeah. could be from the late 70s. That could be that. But yeah, my here's my litmus test. When I was a senior in high school, 1986, uh -huh. Burger King had just come out with the chicken parmesan sandwich. That meal was, the I think, the most expensive thing on the menu at Burger King. And it was $4.20. <laughs> for a big a larger specialty sandwich large fries and a large drink which now is a small drink but yeah uh that so this is expensive this yeah that, that is a that's yeah. a premium price yeah and and it is a little bit surprising because you're like we we will learn the frat guys are like do they even care what they put in their bodies really <laughs> when you're in college when you're of that age when you're in college really <laughs> But um, yeah, so that's what it all comes down to. So we move on now to the next scene. We are now in the frat house. I think are they they call it Beta House. I feel I, like I, they they have one. It's one Greek letter. Yeah, and uh, they've got a group of guys hanging out, and they're all doing frat stuff. They're playing <laughs> a poker game. One of them smoking a pipe. I don't know why I'm doing this accent. It's a guy no, thing. Somebody was smoking a pipe, and I was like, "Why are you not not one of those pipes, but like an old timey old man pipe?" Yeah, yeah, and and uh, and, and yeah, and somebody's doing uh, doing push-ups. Yeah, because... that's the pledge. Right. That's the pledge. So the hazing is going on here. They refer to him as whale slime. <laughs> and that is hilarious. You take those two words, put them on 80s TV. It's inherently funny. Um, by the way, the pledge, 
that actor. His name is Bob Berger, B-E-R-G-E-R. Google him, and of course, you get the animated show Bob's Burgers. But um, <laughs> this is the 13th of his 15 credits, and he doesn't have anything on uh, on his IMDb after 1987. Oh. So he got out of the biz or retreated to the theater. Yeah. But uh, it's too bad. He's cute and he's funny. He sells yeah. it, man. He's, yeah, agree. He never walks on he never walks upright. He's always on his knees. Yeah. It's just yeah. he's the punching bag basically. Yeah. So we have frat in full frat swing of fratitudinal fratitivities. <laughs> <laughs> and I love I love what happens um I love what happens on TV shows just in general where if it's out of frame then we don't know that it's happening. Mm -hmm. And so the pizzas are being delivered there at the at the at the front door to the frat house. And, you know, the guys that are at the doing all the frat things, they are completely unaware that the pizza is being delivered until it is announced. Hey, pizza's here. Yes. We, there's a whole <laughs> bunch of dialogue that happens, you know, I, when when the doorbell rings or there's a knock at the door and you know that it's pizza on the other end, everybody in the house jumps up and goes, pizza's here. Let's I, go. But no, it was out of frame for those guys. So they just wait and wait and continue on with their with their poker game and their smoking of their pipes. And then it's not until uh, uh, Hack says, all right, pizza's here, that all of a sudden everybody's real excited about pizza. Yes. So initially in my notes here, when Natalie and Joe come in with the pizzas, I was like, what is the set design? What is <laughs> happening? Because it looks like a makeshift skyscraper is oh, outside yeah. the door yeah and um i did have to go back and look at it it's not that it's the the set they decided not to have it be an exterior outside the door they tried to make it look like some sort of an entryway okay and in that entryway are some uh like lattice work screens okay but the lattice is not on the diagonal like you would expect it to be. It is vertical right. and horizontal. So it looks like a bad, like Godzilla set of a skyscraper <laughs> right behind the girls. And so uh, is it more of a dorm situation than a frat house? Well, no, it's a house. It's a frat house. They say explicitly at the beginning that it is a, a frat house. Yeah, but but that, then but they don't want to have a, an exterior. Well, it's just they meaning the it's sets didn't lattice. want to have to put trees and shrubs and sure. bushes. They put some type of a wall looking like yeah. there's an angle. It's just it's just a, a set designer's way to cheat it and to not have to light something yeah. that looks too deep and all that. So that that doesn't bother me if it's done well. This is not one of those cases. <laughs> <laughs> so the pizzas arrive. Uh, Hack is there. They get the pizzas and then they announce. Hey, Victor, it's pizza time. <laughs> and this guy, Victor, yeah. grabs one of the pizzas, pulls it aside, takes half of it and folds it in half like a taco and starts downing the pizza. <laughs> I, I, I have to say, I have always wanted to do that and I've never had the guts and I think I need to do it now. Why don't you do like right now? Are, Not this you minute. I don't. I don't I, have a pizza handy, but okay. but I, have I a, should. I have, a, I have a firm rule that I I no eating on podcasts. Uh, <laughs> it's true for the for the sake of the listener. Uh, well, <clears throat> so I'll tell you the only time that I have done that. Uh, you know, I every now and then not not as much as of late, but I've run a handful of marathons. 
And it was like the day after a marathon and I was still like my adrenaline was pumping and my uh, like I was just so hungry. And I'll tell you, um, I made a, 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 a DiGiorno pizza and delivery. Instead, no, DiGiorno. Ah. And and uh, and and instead of, of of cutting it into like six or eight slices, I just cut it in half and folded it in half and I ate half of the pizza right then and there. Oh man. Yeah. And so here's what I would say. It's, it's only going to cost you like 10 bucks to try it. Yeah. And we 10 have bucks a... in eighties money is $75. <laughs> now. That's true. <laughs> uh, but I guess I should have prefaced all of this by saying that I watched this episode with great interest because Pizza literally is my mostest, favoritest food in the whole wide world ever. I okay. could eat it three meals a day, every day for the rest of my life and never get tired of it. So we need to talk about this actor who plays Victor, who is able to basically uh, slam a pizza. Is that the word? Yeah. What's the word for? Uh uh yeah i, I mean i yeah the Good. equivalent of slamming a pizza i would, yeah of slamming what, what, a beer this guy slammed a pizza is that it i don't i don't drink so i don't know the terminology oh, so yeah um, no i i i don't slam too many drinks but i have chug yeah <laughs> he chug a pizza. pizza i'm thinking of like doing a shot like what do you right. do like the idea yeah, of he is basically yeah. doing yeah. Uh, yeah this actor his name is michael zorek and there was something familiar about him. I'm like, why do I feel like I've seen him before? He was in a movie very near and dear to my heart called High School USA, which was a TV movie about a high school. It was actually a like a pilot for a series they were hoping was going to take, and it never did. Uh -huh. But the two romantic lead stars of the movie were Michael J. Fox and Nancy McKeon. Yeah. We watched it on my other podcast with uh, Matthew Arder, and uh, there are these two nerdy boys in the, you know, of all the archetypes that they're trying to cover in a high school. The two nerdy guys, it was Crispin Glover, like his first or yeah. second role, and uh -huh. this kid, Michael Zorak. And they're they're delightful. The movie is delightful, by the way. If you want to relive, it's maybe a little bit early for you. You're probably a little young because you didn't go to high school then. But I looked at sure. it like, oh my god, so much. <laughs> but I would have watched it, and I would have been like that. I'm going to be that when yeah, I yeah when I grow up when I'm when an I adult at up. 17. <laughs> yeah. So yes, but um, the big thing was, does Victor like does does the pizza get Victor's seal of approval? Yeah. And he eats it and he just, oh, and they're all like waiting. It's yeah, like gather round to watch him do this. Like, yeah. It's like Mikey and life cereal. What is he yeah. going to say with <laughs> yeah. bated breath? And finally he just looks and says, this is life giving. Yes. And when he said that, I was like, that, that is a line that holds up to this day. People are saying this gives me life. Very ahead of its time. That Very was not said a lot in the 80s. No. I can. I was there. We did not say <laughs> this gives me life. This is life giving. That was not a thing. Nuh-uh. We well, say... started it. <laughs> again, planted the seed, and now it has grown into a, a modern-day pop culture hit of a phrase. Trendsetter. We would say, <laughs> you know, this is grody or this is uh, bitchin' or something. I, I don't even know. But I put down in my notes, disgusting, question mark? No, he is my hero. 
eating the pizza that way. <laughs> Just want to go on record saying that. Uh, so with that, with his stamp of approval and the others start eating it too, uh, Hack is like, good, we want six more pizzas for the following night. At mm -hmm. this point, Joe was like, no, no, guys, it's it, it takes time and it's a lot of startup money. At which point, Natalie is like, whoa, 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 Joe, this could be the start of your own business. So Joe is like, I don't have the ingredients. And Natalie says, I'll invest in it. I have some money. And you know what? Tootie will invest too. She has $25 that you can have. And Joe was like, wait a minute, why are you investing Tootie's money? And Natalie's just like, oh, I managed Tootie's money for her. Don't worry about it. So Joe was like, I don't know. She's Joe is initially reticent. Let the record yeah. show, Your Honor. And yeah. they walk Which over. Which is actually a little bit like Joe is usually like the, like, let's go. Let's do things. Let's, you know, like she's an action for the most part. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Or if she, I mean, Joe's not a very gray character. She's very black or white. She would either be yeah. like, yes, let's do it. Or no, I draw the yeah. line. This was too much work. Yeah. But um, with that, Joe, with this extra money and now the order being increased to eight pizzas, Joe is like, well, I guess we're in business. Yeah. And that's where our group hug comes in. The group hug <laughs> with, with uh, Hack. Yeah. So. Now we move on to our next scene. Had we established that Natalie is the is the money manager at all? Has that been established in any prior episodes? <sighs> this is a little sensitive okay. because um, I'm trying to speak to the time. Okay. And I'm trying not to be offensive from modern standpoints. Yeah. But Natalie is Jewish. Okay. And therefore, without it being explicitly stated natalie's the jew and the jews are the money people right we have this thing where oftentimes natalie is a little more interested than the others or in more the, concerned yeah okay a girl comes in and says i just got engaged natalie's like step aside like joan rivers let me see the ring how'd you do yeah and uh so it's it's never ever explicitly stated but i have many times maybe i'm the anti-semitic asshole who's always picking <laughs> up on this stuff that's not even there but it has come up before um but natalie is not necessarily the money person if anything joe last season with the opening of edna's edibles joe in many cases has become the de facto uh, bookkeeper manager uh, slave driver as far as come on guys we got to do this where our profits yep. are down we've got to sell croissants we got to cut expenses yep. so joe has really more consistently been the money person but this whole thing of natalie taking tootie's money and managing mm -hmm. it there is a little teeny trace of discomfort on my part because i'm like i don't know a hundred percent that the writers weren't secretly thinking well we can do this because she's you know yeah yeah well and or to your point like maybe they weren't necessarily thinking about it but it was just kind of a uh the the thinking of the time and nobody really questioned it and so who's going to be most likely at the time to be concerned about money and be wanting to pay attention yeah. to the financial stakes uh well it seems that that would be most likely natalie i think that's a lot of what it is and it's simply a matter of in those days, the line between archetype and stereotype was a lot blurrier. 
Yes. Yeah. And similarly, Tootie, who rarely they do to their credit, they rarely give Tootie sassy black woman talk. That's something mm -hmm. they've actually been consistently good about avoiding. But there is a point later where doesn't is this episode where Tootie says, uh, have you been acquainted with the word jive? Yes. Is, is it jive? Is that the word she yeah. says? Uh, uh, yeah, I want to say jive. Yeah. Yes. If I yeah. um, if we're if we're wrong when I get there, I'll correct myself. But okay. the whole thing is that, um, and that is just simply it was like a way to give Tootie her own personal way to say bullshit, really. <laughs> right. Uh, so um, it seems that Joe is is much more entrepreneurial, mm -hmm. um, than the others. Uh, but then all here comes this opportunity, and she's the first to be like, mm, I don't know. Well, and the thing is. This is the part of the rewrites I will be sending back in my time machine to the writer's room. All they needed to do was have Joe say, look, this was this was a real strain for me. Remember, I'm still trying to help Mrs. G manage the store and I've got my studies. This is talked about a little later by Tootie. Yeah. yeah. But if Joe had just said, Ugh, it's a lot of time and I really don't have that much extra time to give to this. But then the opportunity is, oh, okay, I'll, I'll make it work. I guess I'll stay up late. I, you know, who needs to sleep? That that could have been a nice little way to at least make it. They're, they're not denying her entrepreneurial spirit, but they're also honoring her sensible side of understanding limitations yeah. of time, space and all that stuff. That would be my little tweak to this whole thing. So then the next scene we move into Rob, a space we have never to this point previously seen the kitchen in Edna's edibles. Really? This is the second episode of season six, all of season five. We were in Edna's edibles. We never saw the never kitchen. This is the, the first kitchen. time. Wow. Yeah. Natalie is helping Joe make the pizzas. Uh, and in the process, the other girls kind of pass through. Uh, Mrs. Garrett has another moment of, oh, I'm going to my dying club. <laughs> so she's trying to, this, this running gag of temptation for Mrs. Yeah. Garrett. And then uh, Blair and Tootie do pop by. They're about to go out to do something. And Natalie's like, uh, we need some help, Tootie, jump in. And Tootie's like, I'm not involved in this. And this is where Natalie says, uh, yes, you are. And Tootie is not happy about it. And she's like, I had plans for that money. How could you do that? And Natalie's response is, well, you have the chance to invest in a startup business. And, you know, anyhow, Natalie is fairly harsh and unapologetic. Not even a, well, I'm sorry, but think of it like this. Natalie was like, Tootie? Face reality. The money's gone. And get yeah, chopping. All, like, and, wow. And, and we all think that this is, well, we don't all think this. But as we're watching the studio audience, quote unquote, they, they think that this is hilarious. They think this <laughs> yes. is great. And, and I, yeah, now again, so she had not been established as, it, it would be different for me if she had been established, established specifically as Tootie's money manager that they had worked this agreement out. And, but the fact that she just kind of assumes the role and takes her money. Yeah. And, and takes it out of her sock it, drawer. 
it would be different if they had already said, okay, yeah, you manage yeah. my money, invest it wisely. And then she comes back and says, Hey, I invested it. And you're now running a P you're, you're yeah. owner of a pizza place. Okay. That's different. But this was. Yeah. So easy. So easy yeah. to fix this in the writing to say, Tootie just gave me $25 and right. was saying she was thinking of investing it or, you know, wishing she could have some more. This is the perfect opportunity. And then, you know, when it comes to this, but we do have to talk about what is the business model here in terms of, <laughs> you know, we are at one point, Natalie even says we're 40% of the business and all that. It's like, whoa, 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 time out. I'm making the yeah. tea with my hands here. What? <sighs> Let's look at what a business model might be. First of all, Joe is running this business and I don't have the money with for ingredients, which is what necessitates the investment from Tootie and Natalie. But it's like, but even if, why did they have to invest in the business when it was, can you lend me your 50 bucks? I'll make the pizzas, I'll deliver them. And when they pay me for the pizzas, I pay you back. It's still my business. It's just a loan. And it's literally a 24 hour loan. You're not even going to yeah. notice that your money's gone. Yeah. So that's weird. That's a very sitcom-y. We're, we're friends and we're in business now. What we're, could go wrong? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but then we have the other problematic factor of this is Edna's Edibles Kitchen. Mrs. Garrett comes breezing through like, oh, pizza's delicious. She does make a comment about, remember, a good chef cleans as she cooks. Um, okay, the line should have been, okay, girls, remember, I've given you the kitchen for three hours, not a yes. minute longer. It had yeah. better be spotless when I get back from my diet club meeting because I have to start rolling the pastry to make the croissants. Right. Right. And, and I'm doing this as a favor because Joe is running this business and getting too big for her britches in future scenes about she's going to be a millionaire. We're going to be rich. I'm going to be in the cover of magazines. It's like, girl, you have hitched your wagon to someone else's business. This girl, is Mrs. Girl. Garrett's kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> Again, fixable. If it was yes. Mrs. Garrett has given her the kitchen for X amount of time. And then, yeah. well, how are we going to make Because you know, what's coming up is they want now they want they get an order for 15 pizzas. Well, how are we going to do that? And it's like, uh, maybe I'll beg Mrs. Garrett to let me use the maybe I'll do it after hours. I'll, yeah. you know, the idea yeah. is that if there was some limitation to the kitchen time, I would have been able to this would have been much more palatable for me because, because I don't know what the end game was, what she thought yeah. was going to happen as the business grew. We've already we've already established that Edna's Edibles is a real thing that's going with this is our first time in the kitchen. We don't know how the kitchen works for Edna's Edibles. No, this is our first time being in there and seeing it. So, yeah, it, it does raise a lot of questions. And What's these girls. Yeah. And these girls do the cooking. These girls yeah. help with that. And um, speaking of which, therefore, they know their way around the kitchen. Why <laughs> is Natalie chopping mushrooms with a meat cleaver? And then Joe says, ah, oh, you're chopping them too big. And then she starts chop, 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 chop. Now you're chopping them too small. And then Joe takes over and Joe starts cutting with a meat cleaver. And it's like, <laughs> what? what, what, this is one of those, does nobody on that crew know how to cook? Has they never, it's just shocking to me that they wouldn't have a true give... cutting knife. Yes, yes. Uh, are, and again, and forgive me if I'm jumping ahead again, but no, I have a, a, a little shout out to the 
um, as we get going on on this and they're making more and more pizzas and getting more and more frazzled and behind a shout out to the props people oh for some really great unfinished pizzas yes yes really are... great stuff some and botched the, attempts botched later attempts that yeah they look great the one, that, the one that drapes over the over the the lid yeah uh, mm -hmm. you know clearly when you look closely this was something that was built to be done over and over and over again and it looks as but it looks very fresh and new yeah. but the prop is clearly when you watch it happen everything stays on but it drapes over i was very yeah. impressed well no, done. i agree yes Frost. that in addition to the burnt ones that appear later yeah. And yeah. Uh, yeah, and the last thing for this scene, and this is where your point of view <laughs> is going to be interesting. What kind of a leader is Joe? <laughs> Everything Natalie does, she is doing wrong. And Joe is just like, oh, you're shredding the cheek, come on. And she's doing the the, the hand the hand gesture of, Duh. Yeah, and, get out of the way. And if yeah. you look at the, if you think of the words in the page, if you take away her delivery of them, it's, Natalie, you're chopping them too small. Well, now they're too big. Why don't you just do the cheese? Honestly, Nancy McKeon could have made kinder choices. Agreed. As far Agreed. as, I don't know anybody who responds to that type of leadership. <laughs> and and it's three times the magic, the you know, the comedy rule of threes, where three different times in this scene, Joe is is angry at Natalie for fucking up this beautiful <laughs> you know thing that's untouched it's like okay so let's let's think about uh, as as creative leaders rob is <laughs> you the authority what are some other ways joe might have encouraged natalie as her staff member yeah well i mean you know the job of the leader is not to do everything the job of the leader is to make sure that it gets done and uh so so along those lines also leadership is um is influence nothing more nothing less and so her job needed to be that she that joe's job was to build and maintain influence with natalie to help her learn how to do this well yeah. now I, I do think also um a lot of the you know a lot of the leadership study that i have done uh, leadership and creative study that I have done uh, has been as ha, came from a response to terrible leadership models of the 80s. Mm -hmm. I, I, that does not surprise me in the least. Yeah. And so like the, nobody was writing about or teaching about leadership and, uh, and, and all of that until you get into the late eighties and nineties when it's like, oh my goodness, we're burning bridges left and right. These organizations that have grown really super big, they're now crumbling and falling because they're not being run well. They're not being led well. It's more of a flash in the pan. How do we make this sustainable? And so a lot of the teaching and and uh, and the writing and uh, the demonstration of good leadership came as a result of the bad leadership models of the 80s. So mm -hmm. I don't know that 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 Joe had any other model to point to uh, of going like this is what I always see is when I when I think of boss, it's somebody who's yelling at the yeah. employees, somebody, who you know. So she didn't know, but, <laughs> but and and but it is on brand. I will yeah. say it is on brand for her character that Joe is blunt, tells it like it is, and and she is a no bullshit kind of a character. Yeah. However, <laughs> you're talking to your friend. Well, and so this is where this is where the the good model comes in later with Mrs. Garrett. Mm-hmm. 
Yes, she absolutely. comes in later, and she and and oftentimes in these, it's it's going to be the voice that comes in later that that speaks reason and says, "Hey, what have we learned here?" Yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah, so so you know, there, I, I have uh, I I do believe we don't learn a lot from great leaders. Um, whenever we have great leaders in our lives, um, of bosses or. Um, you know, we've been hired to do a thing or we are part of, a, of an organization, maybe a volunteer organization and somebody is at the helm and leading that. We don't learn a lot from the good ones. We learn so much from the bad ones. Oh, yeah. And, yes. and so when we're paying attention to how it's done wrong, mm-hmm. um, that more often than not, we can pick up from, you know, lessons learned from it being done poorly. So I would say, uh, you know, a little devil's advocate, we've learned a lot from Joe as to how not to do this. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh yes, okay. I, that's a that's a great positive way to look at it. Yeah. And positivity <laughs> typically isn't a component in this podcast. We're just snarky <laughs> and negative and critical. Let's let's take a step back, Joe. In that, Natalie, you're chopping the mushrooms too big. Okay, chop chop chop. Now they're too small. Come on, it's a pizza. Yeah. Mushrooms on a pizza. The the component of flavor. The the chemistry of okay, when you bite into this pizza, it has to be the perfect blend of <laughs> the savory mushrooms and the salty cheese. And the, it's like, girl, get the job done for crying out loud or yeah. teach. Like you say, it's a, you're not there to do it. You're there to lead. Say, Natalie, let me show you the right size that I like the mushrooms to be. Or yes. again, take herself out of it. Natalie, let me show you. This is the way my mom always chopped the pizzas chop the, the mushrooms yeah. that makes them so delicious and then take yourself out of it and then it's like okay we're sticking to our brand this is okay yeah. the brand is this is my mom's pizza let me show you how my mom makes it and can you emulate that more that's well uh, the the last part that i would say like uh, one of the things that i try to live by is delegate delegate results don't delegate tasks oh okay so instead of delegating a task of hey uh chop these mushrooms that's a task but chop these mushrooms this way this size that's a result oh okay and that's, so that's good yeah <laughs> so you want get the result here's how i need this to be when it's done do that i don't care how you do it mm-hmm. but it needs to look like this feel like this be like this when it's done that's and, uh, a that's a great yeah. approach. That's there you go. That's that's the type of thing uh, that you would know that I would not. <laughs> uh huh. So we go into the next scene. It's a little bit later, and they yeah. have completed the job. Now everything is like, ah, okay, we can breathe. A sigh of relief. It's all good. Hack shows up. He picks up the pizzas. That also helps. They didn't have to deliver them. Uh, he flirts again. Joe rebuffs him. Phone rings. You mentioned before, they say Mama Rose's original Bronx Pizza Incorporated. Oh, and and his edibles. (laughs) It's like, bitch, really? Yeah. So it's an order for 15 pizzas to be delivered somewhere else tomorrow. Tootie, thank God, is the voice of reason and says, 15, are we set up for that? That's what she says, that's verbatim. And Joe says, yeah, we just do what we did today, only twice as much. And then, this is where suddenly pipe dreams and fantasies and uh, like we lose sight of the reality where this must be how Sarah Lee felt. We're gonna be so popular. <laughs> We're gonna be in the Today Show with Jane Pauley. 
Joe says, I'm going to buy my mom a condo. And basically, the final moment of this before we go to commercial is, we're all going to be rich. Yay! And they jump in the air, freeze frame. Yep, punch, yeah. Yeah. And, oh. Uh, so, uh, so that's what we have. And it's like using someone else's kitchen during the off hours. The most you've made is eight pizzas. We are not even three days into this business. Come on. This is quite a situation they've gotten themselves into. <laughs> quite a predicament. <laughs> <laughs> so we are at our commercial break. And Rob, during my yeah. commercial break, you know, this is where I like to get to know my guests a little bit oh, better. My and with goodness. you, I have the extra special treat of I really don't know anything <laughs> of what, what I'm going to get for answers here. But it's All just right. a simple uh, uh, travelogue through your life that has brought you here to Central Florida, where you are a or <laughs> where, like me, you at one time were yeah. a longstanding full time employee of a major theme park. Yes. And uh, so tell me, let's let's leave us turn back the clock. And where were you born? I was born in Ohio. I was born in Akron, Ohio, and I grew I grew up in a small it, it when I when we moved there, um, it was a village that became a town that then became a city of Green, Ohio. Wow. And yeah, Green was forever great and growing as I was growing up. And <laughs> But we, um, yeah, I, it, I went to, I grew up in Green, Ohio, went to Green High School where our colors were orange and black. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Halloween must have been cray cray. Wow. That's right. We had a great time. Yes. Um, so, so what got you initially first into performance and then where did you study? Yeah. Okay. So um, I really, I, I, I am of a rare breed of people. Um, and it wasn't until I got to Orlando that I met other people like that, like myself. And I'm of, of a rare breed of people that just always knew what he wanted to do. I always oh. knew, but I wanted, I knew that I wanted to be in show business on stage, some way, shape or form on stage, backstage, running the spotlight, you know, pulling curtains on stage with, you know, singing a song, tap dancing. I was happy to be, I just wanted to be around it. I just wanted to be there and do something with it. And so. And where did that start? How did you, how did you come to that so young? Well, uh, so my, my parents, uh, my, my mother, both my parents were musicians. Oh, okay. Um, so I would see them a lot of times performing. I would see them on stage. And I think part of, especially my dad, he, he was the, um, over the summer, he would, uh, like be the camp director, uh, for a local youth camp. And so he did all of the fun, like skits and, and the variety nights and all of that stuff in the evenings. Um, and so my sister and I would be along for those over the summer, very, again, very formative years. And yeah. we would see that. And so I would see my dad in front of these audiences every night, making them laugh and getting them to cheer and applaud. And, and I was like, oh my goodness, that, I mean, that looks awesome. I want to be in, I want to do that. And so, it's in your blood. So of exactly. course, that's great. So, so where did you study? Well, so that's just, so I, as I was growing up in school, I went, uh, I was in, you know, elementary school and I loved the art classes and music classes and all that stuff. And I was like, when do I get more of that? I know what I want to do. When do I get more of that? <laughs> and they said, well, not really until you're in junior high, are you going to get more art classes and band oh. and choir and all that stuff? And I was like, oh, okay. So I get into junior high 
And, you know, there's a little bit more. I start playing the trumpet and, uh, and I'm, I have choir and things that I'm part of. And, and I go, hey, I love this. When do I, can I just do this all the time? When, how do I get to do, and they said, well, really not until you're in high school. Are you going to get to do more of those classes? I'm like, okay. So I get into high school, same thing where I go, okay, I'm here. I'm in high school. Uh, I'm ready for more art and music classes. Yeah. What, and what is this history and, and algebra right. bullshit? I yeah. Any, I don't need any of that. I know what I'm going to do. <laughs> and so they, they said, well, really not to your upperclassman in high school. Will you get to now? Sure enough. I did create a senior year for myself where it was musical theater. I, we had a musical theater class at my high school, musical theater, play production, um, uh, choir, band, and uh, and then like like show choir uh, that was part of that and that was pretty much I think I had an English class which was wow. fine uh, and so that was my day all year long and I was like this this is what I want to do I'm ready for this and uh, that was when I was a senior but my friends when I was a junior who were seniors they had gone on to study theater in college and I would call them and I'd go hey how is it is, is it amazing I. And they go, well, we're really not doing theater classes. And for another couple of years, we're getting all of our gen ed stuff down. I was like, okay, I'm done. So I, so I was all set and ready to go to Ohio state. I was going to study music there, but a friend of mine said, Hey, there's an audition down in Orlando uh, to, to work at Walt Disney world. Do you want to go to that? I think you should go to that. And so I was like, okay, well, I'm all set and ready to go to Ohio state study music, but I will, I'll go to this audition and we'll see what happens. And I won't put all my eggs in that basket. I'll just try once. And if you and get it, it would just be a year or two anyway. And you go Exactly. Back. Not a big deal. Yeah. How long could so, that last? <laughs> how long? Yes. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, all of that to say, I went to the audition that was in September of the year 2000. I went to that audition. I got the gig. Uh, I started out as a puppeteer uh at a show called legend of the lion king oh yes and, yeah and so i i actually my identity and i i did a whole bunch of puppetry stuff all around walt disney world for the longest time um and but i was also getting together with some guys uh on our own and we were three other guys we were singing barbershop stuff and like doo-wop rockapella kind of stuff and we were doing that on like a like a monday or tuesday night and we ended up getting an audition to go to Hong Kong Disneyland. They were looking for a barbershop quartet to open Hong Kong Disneyland in 2005. Uh, we went to that audition and like a song and a half in, we weren't very good, like a song and a half in, <laughs> uh, uh, the casting director like waves his hand. And, and, I'm, and for sure, he, I'm thinking he's going to be like, thanks, guys. That's all we need on your yeah. way. Uh, but instead he goes, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to send you guys to Tokyo, the group that's in Tokyo. I'm going to send them to Hong Kong. Um, it's a 13 month contract. All of you need to say yes, or none of you can go. You have the weekend to decide and figure it out. And wow. so, yeah, it was a very quick turnaround, but I ended up saying yes and going. So I kind of dropped my roots in Orlando that were only about four years old at the time. But I went to Tokyo and got to sing Barbershop Harmony there in Tokyo, Disney Sea. Oh. And got to do that for a little while. And I came back and my friend, uh, um, his name is James Silson. Um, some, some so wonderful. Your, I have worked with him. Yeah. The brilliant He's puppeteer. Um, he, uh, he said, hey, Rob, do you want to teach uh, puppetry now that you're back? Do you, all those shows that you, that you worked on as a puppeteer, do you want to teach that? So I said, yes, because uh, I needed a job. And so I started teaching a show called Finding Nemo the Musical. But the fun thing about it was anytime somebody who was missing from rehearsal, I got to step into some of those roles 
-hmm. and play them in rehearsal. And over time, the creative team, production team was like, Rob, is this something that you want to do? And I said, yeah, yeah, I would love to do it. And so we kind of figured out a transition. I went to a couple auditions and figured out a transition for me to go into more full-time performing and be a, an emergency sub uh, to teach the puppetry for them. So I did that and I ended up getting a show called The Hoopty Doo Review at uh, Disney's Fort Wilderness and Campground. And that is where I have spent the majority of my time um, since 2013. Man. Yeah. And that was all based on, I've had several Nemo people here and other theme park workers where, like I said, it's just, a, ah, I'm just going to be here for a year or two. It's, it's the gig is going to last. Just, yeah. just, I'll when just I... waste a, I'll waste a year in Orlando and then 15 <laughs> go by and it's like, right. oh, okay. Uh, oh, well, well, here I am. Yeah. A friend of mine, when I, when I first got here, a friend of mine gave me some advice and said, listen, Rob, you're ambitious. Clearly, like you want to do some things. I would set a limit as to how long you're going to be in Orlando because it's really easy to, to stay here. Mm -hmm. um, so set a limit for yourself as to how long you're going to be here. And so I said, OK, that's really good advice. Um, I'm going to set a limit of five years. I'm going to set a limit of five years for myself. But I had this caveat and this is what has gotten me. The caveat was, as long as I'm doing something new and interesting, if I'm not doing anything new and interesting and I get to five years, then it's time for me to go. Well, I've had like 17 different jobs over the last almost 20, oh, well, now 20 years of mm -hmm. working here. And it's just every time I turn around, I was getting to do something new and interesting. And so that it's been great. The, the ride has been fantastic, but you're absolutely right. I did not have plans or thinking that, mm -hmm. that this was going to be a long-term location or long-term career here in Orlando. But, um, but yeah, that's what it ended up being. But I also got to work other places, do other things. Um, I do the pre-show for the Sea Lion show over at SeaWorld. Um, I do that. And you've uh, directed for Central Florida Community Arts. Yeah, I've gotten to direct, I've gotten to direct some for SeaWorld and uh, uh, do some uh, yeah, some some creative development and things for Disney and, and stuff. So it's yeah, it's like it's, you know, being here, there's just so much. There has been so much opportunity um, mm -hmm. to just, again, try new and different things all the time. And so I'm I this I remember being out of town and I drove I was coming back and I drove up over the hill and I saw the Orlando skyline and I had that sense of home. Um, oh, I yes. realized, like, you know what, I, first off at this point, I have lived in Florida longer than I lived in Ohio. Uh -huh. Um, and so I realized, oh, you know what, actually this is home. And when people ask me where I'm from, um, when I'm not in Florida, they say, where are you from? I say, I'm, I'm from Florida. Um, yeah. but when I'm, when I'm in Florida and people say, where are you from? Cause nobody's from Florida. Uh, nope. they, where, where are you from? And, well, I'm from Ohio. Um, and I, it was a great place to grow up, but I was ready to, to get going on, on doing some things that I wanted to do. And Ohio wasn't the place that was going to let me do that. So Orlando no, has been. So that you are as accomplished and, and as talented as I know you to be and to be like, and he never formally studied beyond high school. That's amazing. But, but to your point, to your point, I, uh, because I did, um, I got here and on all of my breaks, uh, from being a puppeteer, I would go and watch all of the other performers. I would go and watch the street. Mm -hmm. I would watch the stage shows. And, um, in my evenings and my time off, I would, I would go into the parks and see how other people were doing it. Not just Disney, but all of the other, all the other theme parks in town. And, uh, as well as, 
you know, again, we were talking earlier about bosses and going, okay, we learn more from when it, when it Mm -hmm. goes well. And we also learn from when it doesn't. And so I was cataloging all of it and going, okay, I want to make sure I always perform that way. I want to make sure I never perform that way. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You learn, you learn from the bad. You you take the good, you take the bad. (laughs) You take them both. And there you have a life in theater. You have a career. (laughs) Who knew? Yeah. So before we go back to the show, there's two other things I want to bring up is I tout you as being this authority on creative leadership. So give me your two to three sentence elevator pitch of your podcast, The Leading Creative. Sure. Yeah. The Leading Creative podcast exists to bridge the gap between leadership and creativity. Leadership needs great creativity and creativity needs great leadership. They go hand in hand. They are in tandem all the time. Um, And it's because, you know, you can be the most creative person in the world, uh, have such out of the box thinking. um, And everybody goes, oh, my goodness, you're so creative. You have all new ideas all the time. But if you don't have a leadership ability to be able to get those ideas done, and to fruition, then what good is that creativity? And vice versa, you can have read all the books, listened to all the podcasts, been to all the conferences on leadership, but if you have nothing new to say, nothing new to add, then what good is that leadership and influence ability? So um, specifically my podcast is for, um, especially like young, brand new people who have found themselves, they are, they are creatives who have found themselves in leadership positions And I teach, I talk about all of the mistakes that I made uh, in my early years of being in leadership positions. Uh, And so uh, kind of saying, hey, don't do what I did. Here's what I've learned. Uh, Do it this way instead. So it helps young uh, creative leaders go a little further faster. Uh Uh-huh. It's great. I listened to, I I didn't get into it until after you were on our mutual friend, Sarah Hanshar's podcast. And uh, that was when I was like, oh, Rob has, and I had seen some of your posts on Facebook where you would post uh, interesting, like, you know, kind of your your deep thoughts about ideas about leadership and all that. So I'd seen that. So I kind of already knew you to be that guy, but I didn't realize that you were also doing it in podcast form and then hearing you talk. And uh, I've, I've greatly enjoyed the episodes. Uh, and so now tell me, what is Blue Trumpet Creative? Oh my goodness. All right. So, um, you know, 2020 has been the year of pivot for everybody. And a little uh, bit. It, yeah, a little, little bit. A little bit. So, um, you know, it's Blue Trumpet Creative is the result of um, people going, hey, Rob, uh, you know, kind of your thoughts on leadership and creativity. It's time to monetize that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so, uh, you know, people have been asking kind of on a regular basis, hey, can can I pick your brain on this? Can we work together on this? I want you to collaborate. Can you can you come work with my team on kind of their leadership and creativity? And uh, but also, would you be willing to take a look at this show, take a look at this script and and punch it up or, you know, just tighten it up or whatever. So um, Blue Trumpet Creative was created uh, kind of as an umbrella organization for any kind of coaching, consulting, or creative development that I do. And um, on my podcast, the Leading yeah. Creative Podcast, you can hear the whole story of how Blue Trumpet came to be. But working with your team also to help kind of drill down on core values and um, kind of the mission and what are you going to do and how are you going to do it? And people like us do things like this and let, just helping to answer those questions. So that's what I'm working on. That's what I'm doing. And that is all under Blue Trumpet Creative. I will be sure to post a link to the podcast in the show notes for this episode, as well as on the webpage. But I strongly recommend uh, that people give it a listen because it's really fascinating. And I don't think it just 
needs to apply to creatives. It's just, I think, a good course in leading. Well, and that's the dirty little secret about the podcast is that I believe everybody, again, if leadership is influence, then we all have influence somewhere. And uh, I also believe that everybody is creative in that we all have the ability to make something where there wasn't something before. And so even though I put it, I tend to put it through my filter of theatrical design, um, more often than not, I have a lot of people who contact me and they're like, you realize like this is applicable to other industries. Yeah. I'm like, yes, yeah, mm-hmm. I, you realize that. Uh, don't tell anybody. It's, this will just be our... <laughs> or, or tell everybody so that yeah. they'll say, we want a piece of it. We want to hire Blue Trumpet Creative to bring yes. that to our organization or our business or our ill thought out pizza side hustle. Yeah, come on. What's what is going on with? Yeah, what you could have done for Joe if you had been around in 1984. (laughs) So the perfect segue that was to get us back to a slice of life and this 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 kerfuffle, this (laughs) Michigas, this insanity that is this this crazy pizza business. We come back from commercial, back in the kitchen, and now we are in the thick of it. And I don't mean a, a deep dish pizza. I mean, the the flour is hitting the fan, both figuratively yes. and literally, as we watch Joe and Tootie and Natalie make the 15 pizzas. So this is the next day. This is, this is day three, correct? Because we had the first day when they first did the pizza. Yeah. Then we had the order for what five three three or five three it was was three that's right that here's thirty dollars yeah that's right it was so we had day two was the order for three then we had the order for eight yeah so this is the this is now the 15. so this is day four in the chronology of the episode but this is only the third day that this business has existed (laughs) and it is going like gangbusters uh yeah or busting something that's for sure Uh, so they are running around like crazy and it's kind of pandemonium and they don't have enough pans and they run out of sauce and there are some burnt and ruined pizzas on the counter which is where we learned some of the sauce went to uh where is the slicer i don't know it's like you're a pizza business how do you lose track of the slicer tootie and later in the scene using scissors to cut the pizzas Oh, Tootie. We have things like them taking the pizza pan out of the oven, forgetting the potholders. Oh, I'm burning my hands on the pan. How wacky. They are three hours late for the delivery already at this point, Joe says. They are three hours late. So at the, the sort of pinnacle of it is the phone rings. Joe answers the phone, but then the timer goes off. And so she's like, grab them out of the oven. And Tootie's like, I'm in the middle of cutting. And Natalie's doing that. And Natalie's like, I got to make more. So Joe is the only one who can get the pizzas out of the oven. So she extends the phone cord across the counter, across the kitchen. And as she is trying to maneuver her way around Natalie, Natalie is shaking the flour into the bowl to make more dough. And in typical crazy slapstick sitcom fashion the flour just starts flying all over the kitchen like natalie cannot stop shaking the flour even as her arm is being moved she and... cannot stop and i this this reminded me of those black and white infomercial parts of like has this ever happened to oh, you yes 
And then oh my like, God. have you ever been trying to make a pizza and pouring flour in? And then all of a sudden you just can't control the flour anymore? <laughs> oh my God. So true. And honestly, Mrs. Garrett literally walks into the kitchen to be doused in flour and then just turns around and walks out. That is, she does nothing else yeah. in this scene. And yeah. I gotta say, considering Mindy Cohn is flailing that flower and Charlotte Ray is behind her, she gets her good. Like it is <laughs> funny. It's like for, this, for how I mean, this had to be, my guess is this had to be, they probably weren't going to do this a couple of times. They probably weren't going to reset. Oh, no. It was, it was definitely, we, we got one take to get this right. Yeah. So good on, good on them for uh, getting Mrs. Yeah. Garrett. I, I did notice that it's funny watching it again. Cause I think they, they thought, we were all going to watch the flower go everywhere. But instead, if you just watch the actors, um, it is very funny that <laughs> Mrs. Garrett sees what is happening and still walks into the midst of it. Doesn't try to stop any of it. Sees what's happening, walks into the middle of it, turns around and walks out. Yeah. It's... And, she's, and she doesn't feel the need to put a stop to it, even though, again, this is her kitchen. And she nope. says... Uh, you will clean along the way. She, yeah, no. She was like, I have to brush the flour out of my hair or my weigh-in at my diet club might be a half an ounce heavier. It's just, it's, it's insanely crazy and fairly contrived, really. When you watch it more than once, as if we do, just, because yeah. of the opening credits are like, come on, really, guys? If, yeah. if you just watch the actors and not what they are dealing with. Yeah. That's mm -hmm. a lot of superfluous, uh, unnecessary, continuous movement. Yeah. Uh, so another thing about Mrs. Garrett's entrance and exit, and like we're talking about, she serves no purpose other than to walk in and walk out. Here's another thought that came to me at this point in my note-taking, my, my copious note-taking, is that wh why not offer the pizzas through Edna's Edibles? Why not have, gee, Joe, I have, Joe says, I have no money for ingredients. Where in the world could I ever acquire ingredients when all I work at is a gourmet food store? <laughs> is there anybody I know who could make <laughs> help get this thing off the ground? That's just it. So why not have it be a, a joint venture with Edna's Edibles, where it's like, okay, of the gourmet foods we offer, and they do offer a wide variety we've discussed to the point that it almost doesn't make sense. But it's like, oh, we offer gourmet pizzas now and have Joe maybe get a cut of every pizza. And maybe that could be what motivates Joe to be like, no, I gotta sell eight. No, I gotta sell 15. Maybe that's Joe's thing for getting too big for her britches and pushing it too far too fast. But it's the idea of, you know that the, as a gourmet food store and catering company, you know they have to have rules where if someone walks in and says, I want 3,000 quiches tomorrow, they would have to say, we're not capable of making 3,000 quiches. Yeah. We can do custom quiches in addition to what we produce for the store inventory. We can make 20 large ones in a 24-hour period with X amount of notice, and that's the limit. After that, we take no more orders. We cannot help you. You know there has to be some component of that. You can't go yeah. to a, a cake baker or a bakery and say, I need 50,000 wedding cakes in three days. They would say no. 
So I'm just saying this would have also been an obvious way to sort of dampen the, the chaos factor and then having it be incorporated into Edna's Edibles uh, offerings. Now, the, the use of that kitchen is justified. Mm -hmm. I would. There's also an opportunity of what if the pizzas become more popular than Edna's Edibles? <gasps> what oh. do we do now? Uh-oh, there's a little bit of a yeah. Edna's Edibles. Who's in charge here? The pizzas mm -hmm. are, are selling more than the edibles. Yeah. And then it becomes, uh -oh. if Joe starts cutting corners, then it becomes, Joe, you're not just selling out me. You're selling out you and your mom and that recipe. You're This is a double yes. whammy that you're doing in the name yeah. of just making a few extra bucks. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I think we're we're doing a lot of good fix up punch up here on this. I think the writers will really appreciate it when they when they get our uh, shipment from, again, the time machine I will be purchasing at some point in the future. So after all the crazy dies down, everything is done. They uh, they get everything in the oven. So it's like, OK, yeah. what what is not made, it is done and completely and assembled and being cooked. So there's this uh, moment of yeah okay we can breathe a moment well after that blair strolls in god bless her lisa welchel is so damn gorgeous <laughs> she is wearing these peach colored satin pajamas and high heel slippers she looks like she just stepped out of a, a lauren bacall or a katherine hepburn movie as far as you want to show a, a girl with a few bucks how she lounges around the house in extremely <laughs> expensive loungewear. She she just stepped out of a 1930s movie and she is gorgeous. Don't you agree? I do agree. I and, do. Okay, so I, who was your who was your crush? I forget. I have to ask every straight guy I have on the show. Who was yeah. your crush on the show? Well, uh, honestly, and and I I I think it was due to the entrepreneurial spirit. <laughs> I, I had a little crush on Joe. You are not alone. In I fact, the vast majority of straight guys I've had, possibly all of them, I haven't tallied, and I should because there's so few of you, but it's like most guys that I have asked that question are always like, yeah, Blair was the pretty one, but she was high maintenance and, mm -hmm. and, and difficult and snobby. And, and it's like, Joe was the earthy one. She was no nonsense. She told it like it was. And... Yeah. And if your car broke down, you knew she could probably fix your carburetor <laughs> on the side sure. of the road. I would need that. Yeah, <laughs> I would need that. Yes. Yeah. That. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so no, you are you are in very good company. That many many straight men are like the same way. They're like you would think it would be Blair, yeah. as she, Blair is presented to us as the object of the desire of all men, when in fact Joe really had a, a lot stronger following. So Blair, in the course of all the crazy, had taken the phone away from Joe and she hangs it up and says, OK, um, Beta House just called and now they want 25 pizzas for their football party on Monday. And Joe is like, yes, we're doing it. Natalie's like, what? And Natalie says, I want to be bought out. She and Tootie are both like, we're out. We're, we're suddenly the naysayers and they finally speak up and do address the question that we're all thinking. They say, we have lives and school and working for Mrs. Garrett. There's no time. So uh, Joe is disappointed. She says, oh, 
Maybe I was nuts to think I could run a pizza operation and go to school. And uh, Blair says, well, don't think of it as a failure. Think of it as a, a learning opportunity, which is a, something I'm sure you would say that we as actors have all the there are no failures. There are no mistakes, only learning opportunities and lessons for improvement. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> but Joe quickly goes into her Bronx mode, particularly how she gets with snobby Blair, where she's like, it wasn't a failure. This was successful. And you know what? I'm going to make those 25 pizzas if I have to do it all by myself. So in defiance, Joe says, no, I'm making it happen. And I'm not even going to worry that Tootie and Natalie are no longer a part of the business. All right. Yeah. That is on brand where, you know, Blair says one little thing and it sets Joe off and Joe gets yeah. into defensive mode. That's actually very on brand for her. So, okay, I'm going to move us on a little bit, a little bit faster clip here. Next scene is in the living room. Tootie and Natalie and Blair are sitting around with uh wondering what joe is doing in the kitchen because this is the night the 25 pizzas are due how in the world is she doing it they haven't even gone anywhere near the kitchen probably because they don't want to get their head bitten off but joe comes out of the kitchen calm and cool and collected natalie asks did you make those 25 pizzas she's like yep how and joe says mass production I bought some frozen pizza crust, some cans of pre-made sauce, some cheese food. <laughs> it's not quite cheese, near cheese. Is that food? Yeah. And so they're like, isn't that dishonest calling it a homemade pizza when you've done this? And she's like, hey, it, this is a home and it was made here. And that's where Tootie says, does the word jive mean anything to you? And it's like, uh that Ooh. language that barbara billingsley talked in <laughs> airplane four years ago ah uh, it was four years prior airplane was 1980 yeah nice mm -hmm. so natalie suddenly says she wants back in on the business again <clears throat> what you found a way to make it more profitable more money yep. i still want to be a part of this now i'm in Ugh. it's like yep. okay shylock bring your bag of coins with you and Anywho, um, then we go back to the frat house. The two of them deliver the pizzas. A uh, lot more people there because this is a football party. But um, uh, basically, they all jump in, they eat the pizzas, and they don't seem to notice the difference. So we think this is going to work. This is very interesting. I, it, make, it made me wonder, again, going back to the writer's room, I mean, it makes complete sense that they would, they would notice, but did they was the episode coming up short was what? the episode coming up short on time and they they needed to take it in a different direction because i was fully expecting and maybe that's you know maybe that's the writers going well they're going to be expecting that so let's not give it to them but i was fully expecting you know what was the kid's name who ate half the pizza in one That'd bite? Be, um victor victor i was fully expecting victor because everybody waits to see what victor thinks yeah fully expecting him to go no no what is this take this away but yeah, he did. He did. Well, not even to take this away, but just similar to what happens later on with Mrs. Garrett, yeah. where he's like, "Oh, yeah, it's good." I mean, good. I'll eat it. I'll eat it. But yeah. I'll eat yeah. it. It's good, and or have him say something's different or whatever. But then yeah. blow it off with, "Ah, who cares?" Blah, 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 blah. He's, right. He's yes. Cookie Monster with pizzas. <laughs> um, but yeah, again, it leads. It it, it it does bait the question: What college frat boys? are connoisseurs to the point they could be like, I detect that this sauce doesn't have homegrown oregano in it. It's 
No. Well, what is the what's the old line of uh, uh, pizzas like sex? Even even when it's bad, it's still pretty good. Oh, damn right. Yes. <laughs> at least at least if memory serves. But yeah. anyway, um, <laughs> so then we go back to the living room and now we've got Joe on the phone taking an order. And we're basically, this is the scene to say business is growing now that Joe has found this new workaround with the prefabbing and the streamlining of production. And Joe starts talking like too big for her britches. Well, we are the official pizza of the Langley Trivial Pursuit League. <laughs> and... Natalie says, Joe, the way you did this, you're a genius. And Joe's like, oh, I'm not a genius. I just, you know, turned it into a campus institution. And they've asked me to lecture. And, well, I'm not a genius. I'll probably end up on the cover of Time. And the, she's talking like Blair. Like, that's all you would need to do to pop that balloon is like, you're talking like Blair, Joe. Shut yeah. up. This isn't but, you. Yeah. So then we go to the kitchen where there is just this lone pizza sitting on the counter. And in creeps Mrs. Garrett. And we have this physical shtick of her seeing the pizza and being tempted, but no, and walking away. No. And so then finally she eats a slice. And Joe has joined her at this point. And, and her reaction's really good because it's like, oh. And Joe's like, what? And she's like, I mean, it's not bad, but it just doesn't taste as good. And she innocently says, this is your mom's recipe, right? And Joe's like, almost. And then Mrs. Garrett's like, this is frozen pizza crust, isn't it? And Joe says, oh, the girls blabbed to you. And she says, no, I can taste freezer burn. And it is funny because Mrs. Garrett, as opposed to what is going on here, she's acting like she's accusing Joe of a crime. <laughs> you see what I mean? It's yes. like, and I don't taste three cheeses. <laughs> But um, it basically builds up to, have you tasted this yourself, Joe? And she's like, yeah, it's not quite as good, but it's the same idea. And then in comes Blair. She just came from the silk screeners where they printed up some Mama Rose's pizza boxes with the likeness of Joe's mother. And that is Claire Malice. That is that's absolutely the image of Joe's mother. And Blair says she drew it from the picture on Joe's nightstand or something mm -hmm. like that. And that is also, that is canon because Blair is the artistic one of all of them. She has been painting, sketching, drawing, and they unfortunately don't carry it through to the end of the series. It gets abandoned and is only sporadically peppered into her character throughout. But this is a nice moment where it's like, yep, that's right. If you needed somebody to draw something, Blair would be the person to do it. So good, good work writers will tip the hat again there. Um, but then it becomes Mrs. Garrett saying, why did you start doing this? Isn't it because you wanted people to taste your mother's amazing pizza? And is this really what you want? Her image is going to be on the product. And it's the it's the moment where it's the Mrs. Garrett giving the wisdom and the, the very special uh, episode that no young woman should miss. Yes. Yes. And then Joe finally does taste it. And Joe alludes to the fact that it doesn't taste very good. And finally, <laughs> this is OK. If I'm going to do my mom's pizza, I'm going to do it right. And then 
does a hack come back? Uh, the guys, oh, the guys did mention something about the flavor. So hack has come yeah. back into this scene. Yeah, he comes back and and he recognized he says that it wasn't but because of his love of Joe. Yeah. It overshadows that the pizza doesn't taste as good anymore. And so he tells he tells uh she said, "Didn't you notice it tasting different?" He said, "Yeah, it did." Did the other guys notice that it tasted different? Did they not like it? And he said, "I told them to like it." Yes. Something like yeah. that. I told I, I told them it was good. Yeah, they, they said something about the flavor, then I talked to them. And right. they like it now. Yeah. So there was an there was kind of a an imposing, threatening <laughs> component as to why they've been having Joe's pizza. So well, Joe says, "Well, no more. You're going to get back to the original." And as Joe starts to list off the ingredients, and again, I'm doing my Bowser from Shanana here. You're going <laughs> to get three kinds of hand shredded cheeses and chunks of pure Italian sausage and chunks of sweet fresh cut tomatoes. At which point, Mrs. Garrett has to interject with the big, funny final line of the episode. Do you remember the line, Rob? Uh, there goes my diet. Exactly. Yeah. It was. Is that your? Is that your Mrs. Garrett impression? Well, I mean, yeah. It was a go at it. It was a go. At I, it. it was <laughs> lovely. You know, you were. You knew you were free to do so at any time if you were inspired. Yeah. But yes, that was lovely. I like that, Mrs. Garrett. Thank you. So the big final thing is, oh, Mrs. Garrett and this diet that you've never been on before and will never be on again. Freeze frame. Yeah, freeze frame. Freeze frame roll credits. Okay. I mean, this is the, so many of the Facts of Life episodes are these great ideas that uh -huh. just get mucked up in the execution. And I want to do one more thing before we go. Speaking of mucking it up, yeah, I have to say, now that we've gone through it all, I went back and made notes because there were so many twists and turns yes. in this episode over what is the lesson of the show going to be because it seemed to keep changing gears. Do you agree with me? I literally have written down on my notes, what's the moral? Exactly. Question mark. And I, I, have, I have three different uh, things. Is it about overextending yourself? Mm -hmm. Is it about responsibility and honesty? Is it about quality of your product and doing, making what you said you were going to make and doing it? Like there's, you're absolutely right. It goes, it goes in all these different directions. And I'll and, add to your list by saying, yeah. is it uh, Joe getting dragged into something she doesn't want to do? Cause it's Natalie who says, we're in business. Come on, let's do yeah. it. Joe was reticent. Natalie's the one that kind of pushes her toward it. Um, is it about Joe being a lousy boss? when we had that scene with all the talk I've done about that, could it have been that, oh, I see. And okay, let's stop here and say, so is this good that the show kept changing gears? Uh -huh. Because every time I hit an expectation, it would do something different. My yeah. thought was, oh, okay, what's going to happen is the business is going to be fine, but Joe is gonna become a miserable despot that the girls hate working for. And the lesson is gonna be about Joe being a lousy boss. Right. But that's not what it is. Then it is, yep. oh, is it about Natalie stealing Tootie's money? <laughs> and, vi and she says, Tootie explicitly says, how could you violate my trust? I was saving that money for a cashmere sweater. It's, oh, so this is a violation of trust episode. That's what it's gonna be. Nope. Um, 
Is it about we're going to be rich? Is it putting the cart before the horse? Is it getting too big for your britches? Like you said, dishonesty, integrity, honoring your family's traditions, being a realist about your limitations. There's so many different littler themes coming into play. And typically in a 25 minute sitcom, you kind of need to hone in and focus and support <laughs> one or two of those maximum. Well, again, in the story that I'm telling myself, I wonder in the writer's room if they're just like, okay, here's our jumping off point. Let's write until we get to 24 minutes. Yes. <laughs> and well, sorry, we're short. We're only at 16 minutes. Yeah, but the story's finished. Well, it can't be anymore. So let's, you know, when somebody should say yes, let's have them say no. When yeah. they should say no, let's have them say yes. And let's see where the story goes from there. And they just keep building on it and building on it. And so I do wonder if it was just a, they just needed to fill the time. And so they kept coming to finishing points, but realizing, oh no, we need yeah, to- This is the, the next, we need yeah, more. add yeah. something else. Throw right. throw another ingredient onto the pie. <laughs> you see what I did? <laughs> I do, I do, I do, I do. <laughs> I did well, we write down my, my favorite line from, mm -hmm. from the whole thing. It's there toward the end. Uh, and it made both both my wife and I, as we watched this episode together, uh -huh. uh, we, <laughs> we both looked up and looked at each other like, well, that's a odd line. Um, Mrs. Garrett says there at the end, um, are you sure this is what you want under your mother's face? <laughs> I totally missed that. I totally missed that. Wow. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. For all both... the unintended sexual things going on. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I, I, as I recall, I mean, the, the censors were pretty strict in the eighties. I'm surprised that yeah. one slipped right by him. <laughs> and we joke about all the lesbianic overtones with the Joe Blair relationship. So <laughs> Joe, do you really think your mother would want her face on this pie? <laughs> so, keeping it classy right there on that <laughs> note we we can't top it right there we cannot go any further or do any better rob this has been so amazing to actually talk with you it would have been even better if we could have done it face to face but agreed, this has been agreed. so fun nonetheless yeah thanks so much for having me on and yeah i was just, i'm happy to get to know you better again we've just been kind of actor ships passing in the night and yeah uh, so um, yeah, I'm, I was happy to do this. This was great. Now we need to work together. That needs to be our next goal of our creative leadership is to creatively lead ourselves toward a project that we can uh, work on together. Agreed. I'm on board. Yes. All right. Well, Rob, thank you again so much, my dear. Smooches and goodbye. Goodbye. And there you have it. That was Rob Lott. Now, shockingly, there are a couple of points I did not make in that show. I wanted to point out, uh, first of all, one of the frat guys at the frat house, just an extra, doesn't have any lines. He is a regular extra. We've seen him in other crowd scenes at Langley. If you look back to season five, episode 19, Star at Langley, that was when I had James Brendlinger on, I pointed out that there was a, a male student and a female student that we had seen before and were clearly recurring extras. The guy is the same one. He's also one of the 
uh, dudes hanging around the poker table in this. So I'm going to definitely be keeping my eyes peeled to see if I see him in any other episodes. Secondly, I didn't get a chance to say Hack, the character that Tony Longo plays. Hack is such a weird nickname. And then to say that it's short for Hacksaw. Have, have you ever seen a Hacksaw? I know a lot of you are homos out there like I am, and maybe you haven't, but the Hacksaw is that U-shaped metal saw with the very long, skinny, slight blade that you can replace and remove. And it's for little fine cutting, like if you have to cut off the end of a bolt or something. A hacksaw is not a big, manly tool. A hacksaw is arguably one of the slightest and, and daintiest of all the tools. So it's just nothing here is adding up. Considering in the 1980s, we had characters like Moose and Ogre and Meat, all these names that, that evoked something about the characters where they were just these big, oversized dudes. Bad, 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 bad writing, bad nickname. That needs a rewrite. Uh, writers, please get on it. And lastly, as I was going through my list of potential themes and potential lessons in how there were so many possible ones cramped into this episode, there was one that I missed saying was that when Joe is talking to Blair and says, I was nuts to think I could run a pizza operation and go to school, I half expected Joe to say to Blair, and that's why I'm quitting school. That would have been such a typical sitcom-y thing, wouldn't it? Be like, nope, I don't need to go to school anymore. This pizza endeavor is my ticket to success and being a multi-cabillionaire. Selling pizzas out of Mrs. Garrett's kitchen. Anyhow, I just wanted to say that and get that out of my system. And now, okay, I can shake it off. Shake it off. Next week, I'm going to be watching Season 6, Episode 3, called Love at First Bite. That's B-Y-T-E. Oh, I see what they did there. And the original air date was October 17th of 1984. You can watch the show for free on the Roku channel or at dailymotion.com. I will post links in the show notes and on this episode's webpage. That is all for now. Thank you so much to my three new Tutti Fruities. Thank you to you for listening to the show. And remember, the facts of life are all about you. Let's Face the Facts was produced, written, hosted, and edited by me, David Almeida. My theme song was beautifully arranged and recorded by Ned Wilkinson. Our website is facethefactspod.com. You have to drop the let's. And that's where you can find extra pictures, video, and audio extras from the digital cutting room floor. Follow the show on social media. We're everywhere under the handle facethefactspod. You can become a patron of the show by going to patreon.com slash facethefactspod. And don't forget, go to your favorite podcatchers and subscribe, rate, and review. Tune in again next week for another thrilling episode of Let's Face the Facts. <laughs>